Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Outgrow's Marketer of the Month. I'm your host, Dr. Saksham Sharda. I'm the creative director at Outgrow.co. And for this month, we're going to interview Vitor Asituno, who is the co-founder and president at Sami. Thanks for joining us, Vitor. Thanks a lot for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. So Vitor, we're going to start with a rapid fire round just to break the ice. You get three passes. In case you don't want to answer the question, you can just say pass but try to keep your answers to one word or one sentence only, okay? Okay. All right, so the first one is, at what age do you want to retire? Soon. How long does it take you to get ready in the mornings? 20 minutes. Most embarrassing moment of your life? Pass. Favorite color? Blank. What time of day are you most inspired? 10 a.m. How many hours of sleep can you survive on? Um, six. Fill in the blank. An upcoming marketing trend is blank. It generative AI. The city in which the best kiss of your life happened. Tomorrow. Pick one. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. Elon Musk. The biggest mistake of your career? Pass. How do you relax? My kids and wife. How many cups of coffee do you drink per day? Zero. Don't drink coffee. A habit of yours that you hate? Avery. The most valuable skill you've learned in life? Hear people. And the last one is your favorite Netflix show. Um, what is the name? The, is the one from the Adams Family? I don't remember the name. Ah, yes. I see which one you mean. Wednesday Adams. Yeah, Wednesday. That's the show. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's the end of the rapid fire round. Uh, is there any question you want to elaborate on in more detail? No, no, just uh, the questions I pass, I, I would need more time to reflect on them, to remember. And to phrase them in one sentence. Yeah. yeah. So now we can move on to the longer questions. These you can answer with as much ease and time as you like. Uh, the first one is, how did you identify the opportunities at the intersection of healthcare, management, and technology? Perfect. Healthcare is a key uh industry for all human beings because healthcare means basically taking care of our health to be alive and, and be well. So I think it's a, it's, it's a key industry for everyone in the world. I mean, 7 billion people needs healthcare. So um, technology and management, uh, they are tools to make it healthcare better, affordable, uh, more efficient, more pleasant. So I think uh, if something is important, management uh, should be relevant. Um, management is a good way to do something. And technology, it's a tool to leverage uh, the, the the management decisions uh, you want to implement. Or, or you... so I, I think as as a key industry, as a key element, 
uh, management technology are very important so we can all live better. So that's it. What are some of the ways in which you've managed to uh, make these intersections work really well at your company? Yeah. Um, I think everyone values the multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary approach to stuff. I mean, bringing different people with different backgrounds um, in healthcare, there would be bringing a physician and a developer and an engineer and a businessman and a, hustle, a hustler and say, well, how can we build things together? Uh, what I learned is that it's very hard. You get like a 60-year-old uh, doctor and an 18-year-old developer and you put them together and say, well, let's be multidisciplinary, like work together. Usually uh, when those things work better, is when people are multidisciplinary themselves to some extent. So I'm a physician myself, but I did some coding before medical school. I'm running companies out of medical school. So I'm, I'm already in, in the intersection of management, technology, and healthcare. So we have one of our doctors, they, she came from McKinsey, she did an MBA. We have one guy that he's a lawyer, but he understands healthcare a lot. Uh, my co-founder is a businessman who built hospitals and clinics from scratch. So I think it's easier to be multidisciplinary when you have people that already have a bit of each uh, content inside because these people become the connectors, the translators uh, between the doctors and developers and, and everyone else that you need to. So I think that's a key element that I learned. And who's the hustler in this scenario? I think in a startup, everyone has to be the hustler. I mean, otherwise you don't survive. So, so we always try to uh, stimulate hustler behaviors. Um, and my co-founder and I, we both have opened companies before, uh, bootstrapping the first companies. Uh, so we, I think that the thing that connected us at the beginning and is still today, it's the, the hustler behavior, the hustler mindset, I mean, being scrappy. Um, we raised a lot of venture capital at, at the company so far, but also in this winter of venture capital, there's less, less capital available. Capital is more scarce now. Um, we feel at easy in terms of, well, we never operated capital before. I mean, there was capital that was, that was good. I mean, there's no capital that was okay. We, we, we know how to operate in a scrappy environment, uh, being hustlers ourselves. Hmm. So could you share any specific marketing campaigns or initiatives that you implemented and the impact on your company's growth? Perfect. Uh, the first thing we did the very launch of the company was a waiting list, the typical like waiting list. So we sell health insurance. And what we did was we announced our, our Series A and we said, well, there is a waiting list. We're going to launch the product in a few weeks. Uh, here's the, fill the form and have the waiting list for you to, and that was very effective. I mean, we, I, I don't remember the specific like volume and ratios, but I think we got like 300 qualified leads from like zero CAC, just with PR um, in the first like two weeks of the company uh, in, after launch uh, with this waiting list. And from that, we converted our first customers and got awareness that also was, uh, I think top first customer is a good opportunity to find the ICP because we had an idea of the ICP, but we don't have a waiting list. You have to talk to each of them to understand. Uh, there was very good discovery in terms of, oh, who is actually going to be our ideal customer profile at the beginning? Uh, so that was a first. I think uh, 
uh, very uh, uh, not soon after that, not not uh, too long after that, we started Member Get to Member. So we discovered that Member Get to Member was an interesting tool that we want to test. And today, fifteen to twenty percent of our acquisition comes from Member Get to Member. So like referrals, and and this is something that is it's very unique for a health insurance company. Um, and also TikTok. Um, I think we were probably the first health insurer to sell TikTok uh, company plans. I mean, enterprise or, or SMBs plans on TikTok. We have one video on TikTok has 20 million views. Um, I, I was in the US the other day talking to a private equity investor and said we were selling health insurance on TikTok. I said, I mean, how are you guys are selling health insurance on TikTok? And it's, it's really interesting, um, the results coming from that. So who was your ideal customer profile back then when you started in the waiting list and how has it evolved to now? Uh, the ideal customer profile at the beginning was people without insurance. There were solopreneurs. So people that are like Uber drivers, hairdressers, marketeers, designers, journalists, that they own the LLC because we sell only company plans. We don't sell like individual plans. But um, that was the first ICP and uh, most of them without insurance. So a lot of people were changing from different insurance to send they're uninsured. They said, well, I see this plan. I have a business entity that I can use to purchase the plan. Uh, the, the product, the price is affordable. I, I want to, I want to, so that was our first ICP. Today, uh, we are evolving to bigger and bigger companies. So the first company with 200 employees, the first company, 700 employees. So now we're going to bigger companies. It's still the ICP uh, of the, the first ICP is very relevant. There are in Brazil 13 million people with like individual entrepreneurs, solopreneurs with an LLC. But um, we are also adding bigger companies as well uh, where data economics is good. So um, that. So what was your motivation then when you started it all out behind you know co-founding Sami? and how your background as a physician influenced your vision of this company. Um, I, I saw, I was an entrepreneur and an investor, and I saw over five, four, 500, maybe more startups in healthcare. And healthcare is hard. I mean, uh, there is the famous death by pilots. I mean, people start pilots at hospitals, large health systems, and they take forever to get to results. Um, uh, there's long sales cycles. Um, the market is like entrenched by conservative uh, physicians or associations or big health systems. So, so it's it's really a tough market. Uh, and I understood that being a payer, being a health insurance that can put money up front, um, it's it was was very interesting place to be. Who pays the piper? Called the tools, right? So if you are the payer. You could pay people to do this and that. You could pay providers. You could pay partners. You could you could buy stuff. So also recurring revenue. It's a very powerful thing in in, in a business. So um, my previous company didn't have like recurring revenue every year. I mean, you have to reach the revenue of past year again before growing up the company. Uh, at Sam, you know, we started every year with. This million dollars in ARR, and, and then we can grow from that. So our recurring uh, revenue business is it's, it's very powerful as well. 
And also I learned that market size really matters when you are an entrepreneur. Uh, it's a key definer of building a large company. And building uh, and, and health insurance is the biggest thing you can build in healthcare. There is even an article from Andrew Horvitz saying the biggest company in the world is the title of the article. And the, the company he's talking about is a health insurance company, or how they call it, a pay provider, which is a payer slash provider, a payer that also provides care. So uh, a few of those things helped me to say, well, being the platform, being the mothership of healthcare um, can be very interesting if you want to do new innovative stuff. And, and, and as a physician, for me, having the opportunity to correct uh, medical evidence, to produce medical evidence, to offer quality of healthcare to people at lower price, um, that's, I mean, it's what every doctor wants to do. I mean, do good medicine, make it affordable. And, and take care of people in the long run. Um, so, And so what is the state of healthcare in Brazil right now, if you had to like give us a glimpse of that? And do you plan on expanding outside? Have you already? Yeah, I think if you were in the far side chat yet, to the word I would say was overstretched. I think, um, I think most health systems in the world are in that condition right now. Uh, especially after COVID, uh, I mean, populations grow and, and, and healthcare costs grow faster and there's new technologies, new medicines, new whatever every day. We haven't been able to change workforce for AI, so we need good doctors, good nurses, good. So it's, it's costly and, and, uh, and it's hard, uh, and it's disorganized and I mean, COVID was a very good show to me that i mean nobody knew what was happening i mean three trillion people uh, sorry three billion people were at home uh not working uh and nobody knew i mean wear a mask do not wear a mask this medication works this medication doesn't work who is coordinating the agenda how health systems around the globe can collaborate I mean, from my opinion it was a mess i mean i mean so uh, I think we need better evidence in healthcare. We need better coordination. We need more technology. We need to uh, help doctors and nurses to be more productive with AI. So there are a lot of needs that we, we have in healthcare to uh, help people in health systems that are overstretched and need care. And so how does your company's value-based healthcare business model uh, benefit both healthcare professionals and the patients? Yeah, value-based care, it's a way to do merit in healthcare. I mean, we once we are paid the, uh, doctors per visit, they are delivering visits. I mean, uh, you have paid me for a visit? Okay, every system is perfectly designed for things it, it provides. So, but nobody wants visits. I mean, we want care. We want to have our healthcare problems solved. We want a surgery that's successful. And even if you don't need a surgery, the better. I mean, if we don't need to do the surgery. So, uh, for example, every surgery, every good surgery that wasn't needed, it's a bad surgery. So, venom-based um, care, it's a way to recover the evidence to what they call clinical pertinence. So, what we really need to do here 
and what doctors are performing and get, having the best results. And how can we pay by merit? The, the hospitals and, and, and providers and physicians who are having the best results. Because if we pay everyone the same, people are not like incentivized it to be better or to do more. I mean, people are like, well, the insurance pay 100 bucks for every visit at, to all the doctors in my town. So I'm going to deliver visits. Not like good visits, not good care, not proactive care, not good surgery. So, but the the the, the challenge was how to measure uh, what a good visit is, or what is uh, when someone needs a visit or a surgery, or what are the good results for surgery. So, what uh, I think technology is allowing us to do is to do this kind of measurements at the point of care at scale, and looking at personalized protocols. Uh, in, in, in journeys that in, I think the, the, one of the best things technologies it's has a killer application is how to personalize at scale. I mean, if I open my Netflix and you open your Netflix, it's going to be different because based on the shows you watch and the shows I watch and the, the, but when we go to a hospital, the emergency room is the same. The health system is the same. The doctor's going to see me and you is the same. Um, so. How can we personalize at scale? Because I have different needs than you have. Uh, in different moments in time, we might have different needs. Um, I, I prefer telemedicine. You prefer in person. You live closer to the hospital. You live far from the hospital. Uh, I like nursing uh, visits. You don't like nursing visits. Uh, so it's it's different for each of, the, each of us. So I think technology can be very powerful for that. And how do you ensure in your company the efficiency and quality of the care provided uh, by your healthcare professionals within your network? And how do you measure and incentivize this? I think in, in every system, uh, you have to start measuring something. I mean, sometimes you're going to get it wrong. I mean, oh, you got the wrong measurement, the other one's better. You have to start incentivizing people and see how they react to that. What is the right measurement? Like 20% of their payments going to be uh, a variable or thirty percent better. Uh, it's uh, for everyone in the in the, in the system is the same. I mean, are we going to do variable pay for nurses and doctors and third party network? And uh, what is the ideal cycle of measurement? I mean, we should give them the KPIs every thirty days, every three months, every year. Uh, how? So, so I think it, um, to learn, have to implement some measurements, some incentives. Uh, and, and some KPIs and, and, and see how, how it evolves to the outcomes you have. Also, the outcomes, they vary over time. Uh, uh, let's say in, in, in at SAMI, in, in sales, at the beginning, we're looking to number of lives. I mean, our sales team were incentivized by number of lives. Then we said, well, but number of lives alone, it's, it doesn't consider like average ticket. So we change it to sales teams. I don't know, let's pay for revenue. Amount of revenue we bring in, so we start to pay people based on revenue. Then it's but revenue is not margin. We can have a lot of revenue, but no margin. How can we? So now we evolve to margin. So I think it's the same thing for for doctors and nurses. Oh, they're doing a lot of visits, but not following the protocols. Well, let's help them. Let's to give the KPI for them to follow protocols. Oh, they follow the protocols, but every visit takes an hour. And there's a long waiting line, so the doctors have to be faster and more efficient. So let's pay for the number of visits and efficiency and time of the visit and waiting times. And so 
based on the needs of the population and the system and the outcomes you want to achieve, uh, you can change the incentives uh, to aim that goal. And when do you think is the right time or how often to change these uh, measurements of incentives? Uh, to measure, I mean, I think everything should be measured. I mean, yeah, all the time. At, at, in, in sales, for example, we start with monthly goals. Uh, there's a quarter goal, but we, we break that in monthly goals. Then we went to uh, bi-monthly goals. Now we have daily goals. So today we, we know, for example, today we are, uh, last time I checked, at 100%, 110% of the month-to-date goal. So it's kind of the daily goal. So today people are doing well. Uh, if it's like midday and we're not hitting the target, I mean, we should do something in the afternoon to get to the end of the day with the target hit. If we do that 360 days a year, we're going to hit our yearly goals. So I think the, the, the smaller the, the time of the cycle of measurement, uh, also people will learn faster because uh, if you, after you finish a cycle of measurements and you see, well, we didn't hit the, the measurement. How can, what can we learn from that? Uh, we, that was a mistake. This thing didn't work. Uh, and then we improved the next cycle. When the cycles are too long, your learning curve is too long. So always try to keep it like shorter learning cycles, shorter measurement cycles, so we can learn and improve faster. So, but but of course, uh, in in some KPIs or some metrics, they take more time to develop. Uh, but if we can break the growth by minute, would be kind of ideal. So it's like when you are driving. And you are driving and you have the speed limit and say, well, now I'm driving under the speed limit. Now I can go faster because of the two under the speed limit so you can speed up. So I think it might be a good analogy in how the feedback you have and how can you adjust. I think for driving might be a good example of taking the, the shorter uh, learning sideways you can have. And how did the significant Series A funding in 2020 impact your driving speed, your marketing plans? and enable you to expand your reach and offerings? Uh, the Series A was so, uh, uh, definitely a mark in the company because um, before that, we have raised uh, $1 million in the Series A. We raised 15.5, so almost, uh, like let's say 15 times bigger than the last round we had. So we had like 15, 20 people in the company, and you raised... $15 million, like 15 times more than you have ever raised. Uh, we had to do some mentoring to learn how to spend that. I mean, how, how can we do that properly? I mean, we don't want to like burn the money, but uh, but we have a lot of money to invest. How should we cap allocate capital properly to grow fast? Um, one of the recommendations people did at the time is that don't have a budget. Because, I mean, for 20 people, uh, if we start measuring what what everyone is spending money on i mean you have a good team they, they are cost conscious they are experiencing hiring solutions and spending money before yeah so let's give you six months without a budget and, and then you you see how, how what people are doing and why improvements can be made so um when i look at today I say well in this venture capital environment i say well this is not very wise 
But at the time, I think uh, allowing people at the creation of the company to be creative and not too constrained by capital, I uh, say, well, we cannot do that because it's expensive. We cannot do that. I, I remember talking to one of our marketeers and said, well, let's do a webinar. Uh, we could invite this famous guy. He said, well, how can we uh, invite this guy? I said, well, we can pay him to be here. He said, well, I'm not used to having money. I mean, I'm not used to... to he said, well, there's just so many webinars we're going to do this year. It better be good. And if it's good, it can bring good leads and, and raise awareness for the company. So let's do a good webinar. And if we this amount of money we're, we're spending is very low compared to the results we can have or the capital we have raised, I mean, let's do some investment. It can be a smart investment. Or let it at least try it because we can test and see how effective can be a webinar with a famous people, a famous person on it, and see, uh, and we, it can be uh, the knowledge of knowing that it doesn't work is also very powerful because if it doesn't work, we're never going to do it again, and you're not even discuss that because uh, sometimes when you're having discussions, people, oh, if we try that, only uh, I know it would work, but we don't. Have no, we, let's try that, and if it doesn't work. We don't talk about that anymore. I mean, all we learn, how can it be better? So so I think it's um, uh, that's the beauty of venture capital. It's um, having the ability to test fast um, and to improve the discussions uh, and have people some read, uh, uh, some some air, additional air to breathe and, and, and see uh, how can they do better in a uh, more... Um, fostering environment let's say and are there any other creative marketing campaigns that came out of this that you want to highlight uh we tried to do some things that i think for example um during covid uh we said well we don't want people to go to the hospital and get sick get covid at emergency room at the same time we don't want them to get a, a bus packet of people that they can get sick in the bus going to the hospital going to the clinic um, also there are some chronic people, people with chronic disease that need care and they were afraid of leaving their houses to care. Uh, and something we learned that was good opportunity, uh, at the beginning of the company was, uh, a borrow credibility from larger like companies. So we did a partnership with Uber once. So if one of our members of the health insurance wanted to go to the doctor, we would pay his his Uber ride, so he he wouldn't have to take a cab or take a, a take a pay for a cab or get a bus or drive by himself or be in emergency room. Uh, so if the, our clinic was far from his house, for example, and he would opt for going to an emergency room that was closer, we we would say no no no, we're gonna pay your your Uber ride. And then, and then uh, you can get there safer. Yeah? So it was this kind of um, enterprise-like partnerships that can leverage our brand? Because, I mean, who is Sammy? I mean, this new brand, new startup that just started, but Sammy's doing a partnership with Uber. Sammy's doing a partnership with Jipass. Sammy's doing a partnership with that big hospital. So uh, for sure, I'm, I'm certain that the reason we sell from the first day uh, a lot of startups have a long time to sell the first customer. 
Uh, we sell from the first day. But I'm sure that the reason we did that from the beginning is because we borrowed credibility from other brands. So I said, oh, are you buying a plane with Mayo Clinic on it? I mean, people are buying the brand of the hospital. People are not buying the brand, a brand of Sammy. Today, I expect that more people are buying the brand of Sammy. But in the beginning, we borrowed credibility from a lot of big companies to uh, grow faster. So I think that's a good growth hack as well. So partnerships has been a key marketing strategy, I would say. Is there any other strategy that you'd like to highlight besides partnership? Um, let's see. No, I think that's, that's it. Also, an interesting to say that partnerships for credibility were good. Partnerships for distribution, except for brokers. I mean, we tested different, very different partnerships, trying to make people sell our product. And except for brokers that likes a common channel for distribution and health insurance, uh, we didn't learn how to do that, this kind of distribution partnership properly. Okay, so where do you think the future of SAMI is headed and the future of the healthcare market is headed in general? I think the future of SAMI is having millions of people. Uh, they're happy with their health insurance, that they're well taken care of, um, that are going to the gyms and Sammy's paying as Sammy already does today. Their data is connected. Uh, their biomedicine and their medications is connected. That we are doing diagnostics with AI. That we are producing uh, research papers with the knowledge we have built inside the company. That, that Sammy really becomes a reference in medical knowledge. I mean, people say, well, if Sammy said so, or if Sammy said that this is, is, is like a this medication works or this medication doesn't work or this food is good or this food is not good or this is true or this is false. I think um, I have a high expectation about Sammy really becoming a reference uh, in, in the healthcare care for people overall. And I think the future of healthcare uh, is really, as I think it's obvious, like more connector, uh, more leverage on technology, uh, more ubiquitous in terms of, oh, we don't have to go to a healthcare setting. We can ha uh, have care at home. Uh, some people say that we're going to be able soon to print our own medications and using 3D printed home. Uh, we today have it delivered at your house after a telemedicine visits already like, oh, I can do a telemedicine visit and get a medication delivered in my house. This is already innovative for most people today places, but uh, when people can maybe create their own medication at home with a, with a prescription, um, they can be even more innovative. Or like, there are a lot of robotic surgery that people are doing a surgery here and the surgery is in Japan. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how we're going to apply all this new stuff uh, and, and find new ways of using technology to deliver better care. Okay, so the last question for you is of a personal kind. What would you be doing in your life if not this right now? I think I would be a missionary. I think I would be a missionary. I'm a Christian and part of what I do at Sammy is really uh, helping people to be happy with healthy relationships uh, with their families, with their physicians, with God, with themselves. So I think it's um, part of all the mission we have here at Sammy is how people be happier and more 
fulfilled uh, with their lives. And I think care and the care we do for families and the way we treat people inside and outside the company, I think it's a lot, a lot like a missionary uh, promise. Uh, I think the difference today is that we charge for that when we have venture capital afterwards, but in a way, we're trying to uh, improve everyone's lives with the, the 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 work we do here. That's a very interesting way of looking at the uh, situation. But yeah, that's interesting. And you have all your life to do that, I guess, even in the future. So <laughs> in case it... Yeah. Maybe. Maybe the future. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for this month's episode of Outgrows Market of the Month. That was Vitor Asituno, who's the co-founder and president at SAMI. Thanks for joining us, Vitor. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to be here. Check out their website for more details and we'll see you once again next month with another Marketer of the Month. <laughs>